Well, good evening, everyone, and um, welcome to our Wednesday night uh, streaming service. I want to report that this past weekend, our Thanksgiving weekend, was a very good one. We counted the privilege having uh, three of the brothers, Brother Antoine from, from New York, Westbury area, Brother Antoine, Brother Moses, and Brother Montezer, and Brother Brintley from North Carolina visiting with us. We really enjoyed them being here. And I thought the weekend was a good weekend, was a, was a remarkable Thanksgiving weekend. Of course, when you have a Thanksgiving weekend and then on the other side of the world, some of the brethren are caught um, stranded in, in Israel, it uh, gives you a little upset stomach. You feel a little knot in your stomach because there's only so much you can enjoy uh, when some of your fellow uh, brethren are in, in an uncertain situation. However, the Lord is good, and the last report I heard is that they should be coming home before the weekend. Uh, they should have flights available for them before the weekend, and so we'll continue to pray that nothing happens between now and then that would hinder their return to uh, the United States. Um, Israel is having a difficult time right now. There's a crisis there. Uh, surprisingly, um, it might have been, I would like to say, sometimes I say coincidentally, I talked about Israel on the 1st of October, which was one week prior to the crisis. And we talked about uh, the Lord bringing all nations against Jerusalem to battle. We talk about the, I didn't call it the Iron Dome, uh, we call it the electronic um, protection that they have, that's um, this dome electronic dome protection that is designed to uh, to intercept missiles coming in. And in that message, I said that when that dome collapses, uh, Israel will be in big trouble. And apparently, if God, uh, really and truly, if God intends to uh, bring an end uh, to this world and it climaxes with Israel, uh, fulfilling scripture when all nations come against Jerusalem to battle, then that might happen sooner rather than later. May God have mercy. We need to pray for the salvation of the Jews, uh, that God would work on their behalf and turn them back to God. Uh, today, as I'm, tonight as I'm talking to you, Israel is not a godly religious nation. Israel is not a Christian nation. I was looking at a chart today, and the slimmest religious movement there is Christianity. Uh, they have Islam is strong, and the Jewish religion divided in a few sections, that's strong. Uh, but um, when we think about God in, in Israel, uh, there is ungodliness existing in the land of Israel. And so if you're to pray, pray that God would save the Jew. 
because after the Lord, and I used this scripture when I spoke to the church, that after the Lord did visit the Gentiles to take out from them a people for his name, as is recorded in Acts the 15th chapter, the Lord will return to build again the tabernacle of David. Salvation is of the Jews. Uh, we will probably talk a little bit more about some of these things tonight. But my main concern in preaching the gospel is preaching the gospel to change lives, not just to give information. Uh, sometimes information is important because it will uh, draw us closer to God when we can read the signs of the time. Uh, but my main purpose of preaching the gospel is, like Paul said, and we might look at that tonight, uh, the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. My concern is that everyone listening to me, you live for God. That is important. So tonight we'll start in prayer, and then uh, you just get your hearts ready to, to sing and look at me. Uh, unfortunately, that's all you have to do. But we continue. We will continue to pray for Des Moines, uh, the saints in Des Moines, and saints, other saints from other churches that are caught. Uh, I think it's a little less than six, eighteen now, and so we want to pray that God will protect them and bring them home. Uh, please join with me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks once again for this Wednesday night. We thank you, Lord, that your mercy has always been given to your people. And tonight, Lord, as we come in your presence, we ask you to bless this Wednesday night service. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us, uh, give us an inspiration, and please draw us closer to you, Lord. We pray for those that are caught in, in Israel, Lord, at this time, our people, that you would make a way for them to come home. Please, O oh God, we commit their future and their lives into your hands. We also remember the nation of Israel. Father, we are not sure what is going on at this particular time. Is this the time that you will save Israel? We don't know, Lord. But I pray, uh, we pray, Lord, tonight that your hand will rest upon that nation and protect them and save them. Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask again for your blessing on this service. Amen and Amen. Heavenly Father, we appreciate you. We love you, adore you, and bow down before you. We appreciate you. Father, we appreciate you. Heavenly Father, we appreciate you. 
in his way. He has compassion on me, and from sin, <clears throat> oh, praise the Lord, he had compassion on me. He had compassion on me. He healed my feet Now I walk in His way He had compassion on me feet and now I walk in his way he had compassion on me and from sin he set me free Bless the Lord. Wednesday night and
I'm thinking of this past weekend. Um, I'm looking at exactly 13 people in charge tonight. Maybe because I'm stubborn, that if I feel the devil wants me to not have a Wednesday night service, I will have it. Just part of my nature, and maybe that's why the Lord has called me into the ministry. Uh, this weekend was beautiful. It's a special occasion. So we had visitors. But it seems like all our churches on a Wednesday night, uh, slowly individuals are, are drifting away from the Wednesday night service. One of the main reasons why people are not in church on a Wednesday night is because of a message I preached many, many, many years ago, and I still maintain it. Uh, you move away from the vicinity of the church, you will find excuses for not being there on a Wednesday night. And you'll hear me talk about this until one day I'm dead and gone, but the message will still remain the same. When someone moves closer to the church, it shows a, it doesn't mean that they'll be saved, but it shows an indication that they want to be close to the church. But you see the early church, when the early church started in Acts, the first chapter, when it describes in Luke, here again, I will forever be grateful to Luke. And so when you're a young man growing up for reading materials, I used to read um, materials by Gordon Lindsay. I was a young man. I loved to read. And uh, reading is something that's a wonderful gift. I would, if I start a library, it would not be a library uh, um, promoting a man that does not believe the doctrines I believe in, especially it might not be just one doctrine, but it might be a majority of doctrines. In the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 2, after the Holy Ghost fell uh, on the day of Pentecost, and uh, like I said before, it's the only record we have written about an important event that is the lifeline of a lot of churches, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is, uh, Pentecost is one of those remarkable times where God pours out His Spirit uh, on, the, on the saints, the disciples, the hundred and approximately 120 individuals gathered in the upper room. And they spoke uh, the languages of the Medes and the Elamites and the people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, Libya, uh, um, Rome and Cretes and Arabians. But the disciples who were all Galileans were speaking in the language. Uh, amazingly, God had touched them and they were speaking in the vernacular of the people. It was a genuine experience. And that's what launched the early church. And by the time uh, people gathered around, 
uh, Peter stood up and, you know, he preached about the uh, scripture we used on, on the weekend. I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. And he goes on and goes on. But then, as it comes on here, and Peter preached and he talked to these people, uh, he said to them in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, he says, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of our Lord, Je of the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, Peter was telling people they need water baptism and they need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We need to have a water baptism. We need to find out if some of our saints, uh, young, men, young ones, are getting saved. And they should be water baptized. I believe in water baptism. Even though it will not save you. It gives that outward declaration. That you want to be a Christian. And so we cannot ignore that. Not because we don't have a pool in this church. Uh, baptizing them does not necessarily keep them in charge. But it gives them a, that motivation. But these people. Peter said to them. That they needed to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of their sin. And they shall receive the Holy Ghost. Then verse 41 says. And they gladly. They gladly receive his word. And were baptized. And the same day. The day of Pentecost. See when the Holy Ghost falls. Things do happen. It's not just. The church getting excited and you go home uh, like you are. Uh, it's uh, something happened in the neighborhood. If the power of God falls in this building. I won't be surprised if this neighborhood starts to get saved. Uh, people would come out and the word of God. The power of God will reach out and touch individuals. And it says they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day they were added Unto them, unto the group, there was added about, and I like how Luke writes, he does not give you a number, he says about. And there was added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued, and they continued steadfastly. Now everyone say that word, I like it. They continued steadfastly, it was not a jerk and spurts, you know, like today I'm there, tomorrow I'm gone. That's what I like the early church. When the Holy Ghost really touches someone's life, they continue steadfastly serving God. Uh, they don't put God on an agenda, but they. today I'm going to talk about how these people responded in the Bible. I'm not going to pick on anybody, but if you feel convicted, if the, if they, what it says, if the shoes fits, wear it. And so here in the early church, the Holy Ghost was moving. Someone said, the Holy Ghost is moving. Well, let's see what happens in the next service. And uh, they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. When it says the Apostles' Doctrine in Acts chapter 2, it's not talking about two in the Godhead and the doctrine of the resurrection and the doctrine of baptisms and all of that. The, the word doctrine was used to describe a lifestyle. They were telling you that you're being converted and you're starting to serve God and you're giving up idols and you're giving up whatever it was classified as worldly activities in those days. 
The conversion was a change over from one lifestyle to the other. Today, in today's world, it's a little different. Uh, we say we're converted, but we are still doing what we used to do before. Uh, there is no uh, separation and sanctification from the world in today's world, in today's religious world. Whether you're Gospel Assembly Church or you're anybody else, there's such a common element of mixing up uh, with the ungodly. And if you're not really going out and spending time in some arena somewhere, you spend the time watching shows on, on Hollywood. Let Hollywood inspire you. And you'd be, you'd be surprised to know, a uh, few people listen to me as much as they listen to everyone else on the media. Uh, I feel like God has sent me to save people, and the more you listen to what I preach, is the more you'll be saved. But if your your mind is glued on the media, then may God help you. I was saying I was not going to preach against you all people today. I was just going to preach against these people in the Bible. So here they are. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, and they had fellowship. Someone's, somebody say fellowship. fellowship. See, fellowship, somebody told me when I was growing up, fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. And I look at church. There was a time when church is over, no one heads out of the door in a rush. Today, people all got to get home. What are they getting home for? The president is coming to visit them. Oh no, maybe the Lord Jesus didn't come to church. He's waiting at home. No, people are self-centered, they're conceited, they're not like the early church. We need an early church experience. What do you think? And that brings me to the subject. Brother Singh, uh, are you believing in a restored church? Well, I would not be obnoxious. I really do not believe in a restored church. Because what are we restoring it to back? What uh, happened on the day of Pentecost and leave it there? And the same thing is going to happen to it again? We need an empowered church uh, that will take us further on than what happened on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, evil was not as much as it is today. We need more than what they had on the day of Pentecost. We don't need a restored church. We need more than a restored church. And that is what the two witnesses in Revelation, the 11th chapter receives. They, got, they receive power from on high. But the power they can only receive when the temple is measured, and the altar is measured, and them that worship therein is measured. You see, God will not give power to a church and calls them, call them the two witnesses if they don't even witness. We are a very passive, we are living in a very passive day where the church is not really an effective witness in the community where it's in. And so they continued in breaking of bread and in prayers. They bet and they prayed. And uh, when you invite someone to your house for dinner and someone uh, asked me, uh, you know, if we were to trace uh, my time back, Really and truly, when you're invited to someone's house, you should pray with them before you leave. And I feel guilty of that because often I visit my sister's house 
and I'm going to make it a point of my business to call her in the near future and says, I'm coming uh, to your house. Are you going to make pancakes for me? And she would. Uh, if she knows I'm going to her house, she'll make pancakes. I'll say, I'll say to her, I'm coming for you to make pancakes for me, and I want to pray with you guys when I come there. I think it is necessary for me to do that. And so they had breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear, the fear of God. You see, it de develops. You wouldn't have the fear of God if everybody di disperses and go our own way and then fill, fill our minds and all kinds of carnal things and come back to church. Uh, they had the fear of God upon every soul. And because of that, wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You know, I sat back the other day and I'm thinking of all the little miracles that God did in my own life, first of all, and then in the lives of the people that are in this church. And people might have come on in and left, but you know, we have seen the hand of God work in this assembly in so many, many ways that I cannot be ungrateful. And uh, the, it comes on here, it says, and all that believe, verse 44, were, come, were together, and they had all things common. There was no big shots and small shots. They had all things common, and they sold their possessions and goods when they had extra stuff. Uh, they sold it and parted it to all men as many as had need. They made sure that the needs of the saints were met in the church. I told Brother, <clears throat> Brother um, Joe when I came in today, I said, well, you know, uh, we did not have a Thanksgiving. Um, we did not cook Thanksgiving Day at our house. We just let it slide. And uh, we had the Thanksgiving at the church, but on Thanksgiving Day, on the Monday, we didn't cook because normally when we cook on the Monday, I'd send a plate for Brother Terry and I'd send a plate for Brother Joe. But this year, now, we didn't do it. And so, no turkey, brother, you gotta wait until, you gotta wait until Christmas. <laughs> All right? And so, they, they, the thing is, they, when you're doing things, you always consider the people around you. And that is important. And it says, and fear came upon every soul, and we finished that. It says, and they continued, verse 46, and they continued daily in one accord, with one accord, in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. And this is how the early church had church. They continued daily. I believe as we head towards the end of the age, there will be a group of people that will meet almost every day and have fellowship. And one of the reformers, I remember everybody had to work. It was a depressing time. I can't remember if it was John Calvin or one of those reformers. Uh, because everyone had to work, everyone had to make a living, he had church like 5 o'clock in the morning. So everybody comes to church at 5 in the morning, by 6, 6.30, on their way to work. And it worked. First thing, are you going to do that? Well, I'm up early, but I wouldn't do that to you, because some people love to sleep. It says, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. 
that eat their meat or their food with gladness and a single purpose of their heart, and that was to serve God. They wanted to serve God. And if when we, if we ever get to the place that the genuine Holy Ghost, I don't, you know, someone gets up and prattle in tongues does not mean anything to me. How they live after they prattle, that means important to me. Uh, if the Holy Ghost is really, if all he got is tongues and no spirit, he got nothing. But if someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, their desire would be for the work of God. And you know, this old man that sits here talking to you, I see everything. You might think I didn't see it, but you'd surprise to know what I see, and I don't mention what I see. I look like a hawk. I look at you brothers, and I see your dedication. I feel your spirit. I see if you're in a world by yourself, dazed. And I wonder. I see some of the... Men in the church, they come on in dazed. <laughs> and uh, I wonder what's happening. You know, I don't wonder what's happening. I know what's happening. And I see people that are come on, come on, coming on in with vitality and vigor and ready to do things. I like that. I like when someone moves like they're alive. And I see everything. And I could be like Brother Goodwin and be militant. And get everyone to jump when I say froggy. You understand? No, it's not going to happen again. I would like to see people willingly, of their own accord, want to serve God. And I was telling Brother Terry, I said, you know, when the scripture says obedience, it's better than sacrifice. I like to tell you to do something once or twice. A man that's a heretic after the first and second admonition, don't talk to him again. Leave him. Let him be. And so when I tell someone something, it might not be a great something, but it might be simple something, obey my voice. For after years, you take me for granted. Don't take me for granted. I don't even take me for granted. Because I am fearful of what the Lord places in my heart. And when I listen to my own messages, it challenges my life for change. And um, uh, when I heard about Israel's war, I had to go back and listen to my own message. And then when I came down and listened to the weekend message, to listened to my talk on Sunday, I want to think, I didn't like how I talk. I should be accommodating those brothers and be nice to them. Um, and, you know, sometimes I listen to myself and say, Lord, why you put that message in my mouth? But God is good. And as I'm looking at the early church as an example, they met daily. And then this that bloomed up on the day of Pentecost fizzled out gradually. Because the church must receive persecution. It is a part of God's plan that the church be persecuted. And as persecution started in Jerusalem, that's why we don't have Gospel Assembly Church still in Jerusalem that started on the day of Pentecost. It's not there. Uh, they don't have the churches of Galatia that started even when they backslid. They're not there. Uh, the church at Colossae that was not started by Paul but existed and Paul wrote to, today it is not there. 
all of these churches over years, some they backslid and slowly backslid and went into apostasy and even the apostate church fizzled out. And so when you look at and look at, looking at the work of God on a long-term basis, uh, Thessalonica is not there. Um, Colossae is not there. Uh, Galatia, none of those churches are there. And so, my God, what is left? Well, there is one church that did not really fizzle out. And that's the church at Rome. It went into apostasy. It, it fizzled out. It did not stand with the Apostle Paul. But it continued to exist as an important seat. And that is why today it is called the Roman Catholic Church. Still have its, its origin and its roots back there. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be here to condemn the Catholic Church. I'm here to go and to see this little epistle Paul is writing to, uh, to the church at Rome. In the early part of that chapter, Paul is writing, and I'm just touching three chapters here, just verses, because I could, I'm not here to give you a history lesson, but this church that Paul wrote to, Paul was already serving the Lord for approximately 22 to 23 years uh, when he wrote this, this letter to the church at Rome. He got converted, and then 20, about 20, little over 20 years after his conversion, he heard about the church at Rome, and he wanted to go visit this church. And so he writes this letter that is one of the most remarkable letters that Paul ever wrote. I like the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. I'm not talking about the first part when he deals with a lot of sins and all of that. But here was a church. Saints were fleeing some persecution. Some were moving to Rome to get a better job opportunity. And they all went in there and they started a church. It is bad when saints start a church. It is also bad when a minister not called of God starts a church. Saints starting a church and a minister not called of God starting a church, that's not good. Because the church would become an organization and fail to be an organism alive with the Spirit of God. Amen. And so, this church at Rome was started by saints fleeing. And so they went on there to start church. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles. They got together. Some Jews got converted. Some Gentiles, they all got together. And Paul is writing. <clears throat> and he says, Paul, chapter 1, verse 1, And a, a servant of Jesus Christ... I like that. He says, Paul, I'm Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. He tried to let individuals know that I'm not no big fish. I'm this great guy. Now, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Uh, you cannot make yourself an apostle. You might do the work of an apostle, but you cannot make yourself an apostle. Well, today I want to become an apostle. I'm apostle this and apostle. Well, whatever. Suit yourself. But you have to be, an apostle is one sent out by Jesus directly into the ministry. And he says, 
separated unto the gospel of God. Now I like what Paul is saying. He says gospel of God. Good news from God. See there are three different terminologies he uses here in this, in this first chapter. He says gospel of God in verse 1. And then when he comes down here in verse 9, he says, And God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. God is not only one that has the gospel of God, but God has ordained his Son. And there is the gospel of God's Son. And then by the time you come into chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So this good news of God slowly moves on over and is granted into the hands of the, is given into the hands of God's son, Jesus. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And here's reason why. Because it is the volume of education to understand eschatology and to understand all the mysteries. Is that what it's about? No. The gospel of Christ that Paul says I'm not ashamed of is the gospel unto salvation. It's how God wants to save you and I from our sinful life and bring us into a relationship with him. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. A gospel that just educates you and educates you and gives you a degree and gives you some title, it's not a gospel. The gospel that the early church preached was a gospel to save individuals, deliver them from worldliness, deliver them from sin. On the weekend we talked about Jesus, wounded for our sins, transgressions, and bruised to save us from any false con uh, condition in the church that's man-made <clears throat> from our iniquities. So he died to save us from sin and wounded for our iniquities. And God must do this for us. So the gospel must save us. And so when Paul comes here in chapter 1, he is very blunt and unapologetic. Uh, this is how he comes. And you talk about... Isaiah blunt and he called him uh, you know worse than donkeys and worse than uh, the cows uh, brother Brindy was embarrassed to say uh, asses but um, <laughs> the Bible says that it says some other things that one time I was about to preach about um, what disqualifies a man from the ministry and back there a priest if certain things happen to the priest physically he was not allowed to do the work of the ministry. And when I looked at that scripture, I couldn't use it because it was bad. It was not in today's world. It would be embarrassing, but Joe would have to zip it off. Did he say that? Well, the scriptures say that. But so today, let's think about the gospel of God here. And Paul is writing to the church, this church made up of Gentiles and made up of Jews. And so Paul is saying, first of all, chapter 1 is written specifically to the Gentiles. He is addressing this to cover the transgressions and the sins of the Gentiles. And he's saying here, he says, um, 
For God, verse 9, he says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. See, one of the things that I like about the early church apostles, and I pray that God would help me to come to the place is never make a trip to preach the gospel anywhere unless you feel God has led you to do that. This church is like a graveyard. We say graveyard in Guyana. Here they say cemetery. It's, it sounds like no voice. We need to come to the place uh, praying and asking God for his direction in everything that we do. I'd hate to leave Romans, but James made a statement in the book of James where if I can find it, he talks about his, it's important uh, not to just uh, go here and there. He says, um, let me see here, I want a, a place where James is talking about a man that uh, is making about to make a decision he says, I'll go here and go there. Uh, now, <clears throat> if I can find it, I don't think I can uh, randomly like that find it. But he's talking about people making plans. And chapter, four. chapter 4, verse 11, verse 13. verse 13. All right, here we go. I, I'm looking close by. He says, go to you that say today or tomorrow. We will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He says we want to relocate because uh, we got a better opportunity to move far from the church and to make some good money and to save money and the prices of homes and all of that. We've got to consider. He says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. He says, you don't know what is coming tomorrow. For what is your life? Is it is it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. So that we ought to say, if the Lord will, I will do it. And people still don't pray. They say, well, if the Lord will. You know, there's a common saying. They say, the Lord willing, I'll be there. Why do you involve God in your rebellion? If the Lord willing, it means you need to pray and find out if it is his will. But today's world, we plan and hope that God fits in. As we head towards the end of the age, it will be God directing us. And one day, the Lord will say, I'm about to destroy the city. Lot, get yourself up, get your family, let's move. You know, if the Lord sends somebody to do that to us, nobody wants to leave. Because we don't, we don't believe God even though we sing about it. We hold on. I preach, I preach about it all the time. Preach about it what you ought to do. And still someone moves away and gone to Timbuktu. As far away from the church that they can go. Well, what can I do? Huh? What can I do? And so... Um, back here, Paul says, I'm coming to you by the will of God. He says, verse 11, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, that to the end 
You'll be a strong Christian. You may be established. I'm coming there to nurture your faith. And that is why the Lord gave apostles and prophets to strengthen the faith of the saints, to establish uh, the saints, to give them a spiritual gift that they may be established. And then he comes down here and he condemns uh, the, the Gentiles. He says, I'm not ashamed. Verse 16, verse 15. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, I'm ready to preach. I'm coming to preach the gospel unto you. And so when you think Isaiah was bad calling the people asses and, and, and oxen, worse than that, listen to Paul. Paul goes down here. He says, I'm ready to preach. And he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. To the Jew first, keep that in mind for future reference, and to all the Greek. And for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And he says, the just shall live by faith. We cannot just live. We've got to live by faith in God and believe God. But for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. What they hold? Truth. You sure it's not false doctrine? No, they hold the truth. But it's accompanied by an ungodly lifestyle. We come and hear the word of God, we hear the truth, we know about the doctrine, we believe all the doctrines right, but we follow the ungodly rabble out there in the world and do what, this is what Paul was talking to these Jews and Gentiles about. Chapter 1, Gentiles, and then he goes down here and he condemned them and he says, you know, here is the sad thing. He says, verse 24, wherefore God also gives some up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to discover to this dishonor their bodies between themselves and so I was doing a little research on what's going on in Israel and when I'm trying to find religion I found a bunch of rabble walking the streets they had gay parade in Israel you wonder is this a godly nation? Don't let anyone pull the wool over your eye. It's a nation that needs to be saved. We're sorry for everyone. I don't want to see people get hurt and killed and babies uh, beheaded. But they're not God's people in the true essence of it. They were partying. You look at the girls, tattoos all over and rings all over and everything else. It's not a godly nation. It's a good nation, but it's not a godly nation yet. It's God's chosen people like they were in Isaiah chapter 1. Rebellious. Chosen, but rebellious. And so when you're rebellious, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Whether you're God's people, you're God's own son, you're God's own firstborn, it doesn't matter. God's it's God. He's God of justice. And so we want to pray for the salvation of the Jews. And so as we're looking at some of these, uh, God gives some people over to a reprobate mind. And when God gives that over, you can't change them. 
There are some people you can never change. If God has given, God give them over to a reprobate mind. And then by the time you come down here, uh, they have vile affections. Verse 26. He gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. The way that the age we're living in uh, is, you know, I hate to live in this society. I hate to live in this age. And sometimes the righteous perish yet because God is saving them from the evil to come. Today, there is no moral standard. Uh, today, when you look at the way 95% of the women dresses, it's immodest. Can you walk down the street and see modesty? No, you don't. 95%. And that's exaggerating it in the opposite way. It should be 98%. Because you're looking and you can't find God. Well, this is an ungodly nation. Why should you find it in Israel? Well, that's an ungodly nation too. And they promote evil. And they promote uh, wrong things. And when you look at Islam, it's bigger than Christianity in the nation of Israel. What am I to do? Pray for Israel, that God would save them. It is God's people. God will bless you when you pray for his people. But pray, oh God, save them. But you know, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God when he's going to save you. Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile. And so when you think about this, Paul goes on from verse 29 and he starts to name when you think Isaiah was bad, listen to Paul. I'm going to finish this lesson because of time. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness. Gentiles filled with all unrighteousness. Wickedness. Fornication. Wickedness. Somebody come for me. Unrighteousness, so we name them. Fornication. Wickedness. Covetousness. Maliciousness. Full of envy. Murder. Debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despite, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without natural affections, covenant breakers, uh, without, uh, without natural affection. Uh, somewhere I repeated that. It says implacable and unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in other people that do them. How many? 21. 21. When you compare Paul approaching the people and compare Isaiah approaching the people, Paul make Isaiah look like he's a small six-year-old. And this was New Testament. And by the time he gets into chapter 2, he's dealing with chapter 2, dealing with the Jews. He dealt with the Gentiles in chapter 1, and he deals with the Jews in chapter 2. And you know, the beautiful thing is, he said, verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory, and honor 
and immortality and eternal life. But glory, verse 10, and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, for there is no respect of persons with God. God don't care who you are. You got to live right or you get judged. And he goes down further down in closing this chapter off. Verse 21, he says, Thou therefore, Jew, you Jew, I'm not talking about us. I'm not talking about Gospel Assembly Church. I'm not talking about those of us that feel everybody else is in Babylon. I'm not talking about those of us that call ourselves the body of Christ. I'm talking about back there, they that call themselves the children of God back there, the Jews. Thou therefore that teachest another, teachest not thou thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, uh, thou that uh, abhor abhorrest idols, thou that commit sacrilege. Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking it, breaking the law, dishonorest thou not God? And he says, for your circumcision verily profiteth nothing. If you keep, if you, if you, if you, keep, your circumcision verily profiteth if you keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Your speaking in tongues is not worth a hill of beans if you're breaking the commandments of law, the, of God and hobnobbing with the world. If you're violating the very principle God is giving you, you can talk in tongues and rattle. It, your, uns, your circumcision become uncircumcision. And by the time you go down to the end of this chapter, he says that the man that does not know the law and keeps the law, he said God is not a respecter of person. He will honor him and bless him. There might be men walking the streets that live a more honorable life and committed to whatever they're committed to than the children of God at the ten church. May God help us. May God help us to understand, and this is just Paul's introduction to a church that eventually will become an apostate movement in the earth. The greatest apostasy of all time started in Rome when Paul was alive. And the greatest message, and some other day we'll continue in Romans, uh, the book of Romans, because there's so many gems I have in this book that I love. Uh, whether it's walking in the flesh, whether it's a, a, a speaking of the sons of God to be reborn, there's so much that I can have. I love the book of Romans. Amen. May God help us. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this Wednesday night. We pray, Father, that your word will challenge our lives. And when we read examples of Scripture, Father, it will motivate us to live godly. Help us to understand that you are no respecter of persons. That if the child of God transgresses the law, you will judge them. And if the man that's not even in church obeys the law, you will honor that Father and bless him. Help us, O oh God, to honor you as a dear Heavenly Father and obey your laws, we pray. 
In Jesus' wonderful name we ask it. Amen and amen.